Chapter 4 Captain Saltinaz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Mike Genetakis. Captain Salt in Oz by Ruth Plumley Thompson. Chapter 4 Samuel's First Specimen. What do you make of that? puffed Samuel Salt as Roger dropped breathlessly down on his shoulder. Well, hung wung wahi it is. Let's give them a cheer for luck, lifting his great voice, the royal discoverer for Oz, helped out by his two shipmates, set the weird call booming back across the water. An answering call came back from the island, and then, with a hiss and thud, a small glowing object fell on the deck. Fortunately, the fire tongs were still handy, and picking up the offending object before it could do any damage, Addo marched sternly off to the galley, stopping long enough for another wave to the island, which was growing smaller and smaller as a crescent moon sped away. Samuel hastened after his cook, jotting down hurried notes in his journal as to the latitude and longitude as he ran along. "'There's something written on this piece of lava,' announced Addo, who had dropped the smoking souvenir from Lavaland on the stove. Peering over his shoulder, Samuel could see the queer raised symbols and signs on the sulfurous surface of the rock. "'There's something crawling on it, too,' volunteered Roger, who was perched on the towel rack above the stove and had a better view. "'A golden frog or lizard. Merciful mustard. What next?' groaned Addo. "'Why, this—' This Samuel's voice quivered with an excitement and disbelief. This mace is a fine specimen of a prehistoric monster as a scientist could hope for, a real live salamander or fire lizard straight from the burning depths of yonder crater. Stars, tar, and terry barrels, this is even better than the baby will prove my point just as well. Does it have to live on my stove, asked Addo ominously, as the salamander slid merrily backward and forward over the red-hot plates of the range? Home on the range, snickered Roger, winking as the pirate. Just till I can fix up a hot box for it, apologized Samuel. But don't fret, old Toff. It doesn't bite, and if it falls on the floor, all you have to do is scoop it up and put it back before it goes out. Not only cook, maiden, swab, but now my nurse made to a fire lizard, Otto shuddered, and reaching for his tall cook's cap, jammed it down hard on his shiny, bald head. You can keep it in an iron pot while you cook, suggested Roger practically, and after all, King dear, it's the only salamander in captivity. Here, Sally, here, Sal, this way, my little crater critter. Tilting the pot on the back of the stove, Roger was delighted to find the salamander was quite willing to answer to her new name as she slid adventurously into the small cooking vessel. The reed bird quickly righted the pot and clapped on the cover. There, he exclaimed with a satisfied nod as his master, how's that? Well, I suppose you'll have to put up with it, sighed Addo resignedly. But in some ways, pirating was easier than discovering Sammy. At least we never kept the captives on the stove. And now, Addo waved his arms determinedly, clear of both of you. It's three bells and time to stir up the food. And just take that pesky rock along with you. I meet to broil. When this cools, maybe I'll be able to figure out the language, exalted Samuel, removing the offending piece of lava with a cake turner. 
All in all, the most interesting and profitable day, eh, Roger? An Ireland visit from a fire baby and a real live prehistoric monster. Not bad, agreed the breed bird, transferring himself to the captain's shoulder, depositing the piece of lava on an iron hatchway to cool. Samuel strode happily along the deck, stopping to light the red lamps on the port and green lights on the starboard. Roger himself had just hung a white light in the rigging when a lusty call came from the galley, sent him flying off to help Addo serve the dinner. What could be cozier than life at sea, he reflected, winging jauntily into the main cabin with a dish of roast potatoes. Addo puffed cheerfully behind, bearing a huge tray. On the tray a steaming tureen of soup, pot of coffee, and seven dishes of vegetables and two smoking meats sent out tantalizing whiffs and fragrances. Later, when the reed bird brought the pudding, he and Sammy soberly agreed it was the tastiest feast Addo had served on the voyage. The main cabin of the crescent moon, with its red leather couches under the ports, its easy chairs and tables clamped to the floor to keep them from shifting, with its ship's clock and ship's lanterns, was a cheery place to be when the day's work ended. There was a huge fireplace for the foggy evenings, and every visible space on the wall was covered with pictures of pirate ships, ancient sailing vessels, and rough maps and charts of strange and curious islands. While Samuel and Addo sat on their knees to finish off the pudding, Roger took up with his wing, darting in and out between bites to assure himself all was well on the deck. There was a tiny crescent moon sliding down the sky, and the slap of the waves against the side of the ship and the wind creaking in the cordage made it a pleasant tune as a heart of the seaman could ever wish for. Now, what could be better than this, said Samuel Saltick, sailing a cloud of smoke from his pipe and stretching his legs luxuriously under the long table. A tidy ship, a good wind, and the whole wide sea to sail on. Suits me, grinned Otto, scraping up the last of the hard sauce and settling back with a grunt of sheer content. Did you mark up our volcano on the chart, Sammy? And what are we calling it, mates? An island must have a name, you know. I know Samuel blew up another cloud of smoke upward and cleared his throat. If it's agreeable to all hands and Roger, I'd like to call it Salamander Island after Sally. Why not? There's a Sally in our galley and a real nice gal of Sally, warbled Roger, settling on the back of Samuel's chair and wagging his head in time to the music. Sing like a bird, don't you, muttered Samuel, striding over to the map of Oz and surrounding countries and oceans that covered the west wall. I am a bird, screamed Roger, fluttering up on his shoulder. Boat here would she lie, Master Salt, sixty leagues from Octagon Island. As Roger talked on, making numerous suggestions, the captain of the Crescent Moon drew with red chalk a small but effective picture of Salamander Island, showing the volcano in action and the Lavaland Islanders, grouped around the crater's top. Taken this day without a shot or a loss of a single man, printed Samuel neat letters under his sketch. Don't forget, you shot the baby, twittered Roger, raising a claw argumentatively. Oh, we can't put in small details like that, sniffed the captain, stepping back to admire his drawing. Seems odd for us to be discovering and taking possession of islands for a country we know so little about, mused Otto, looking thoughtfully at the map on the west wall. Why, we've only been to Oz once ourselves. Yes, but everybody knows about Oz, Samuel said, putting the red chalk back in the table drawer. Our business is with new countries that have never been seen or heard of, 
Besides, anyone can see that Oz is so overpopulated needs new territories and seaports. And since Ozma is so clever at governing and her subjects are so happy and prosperous, the more people come under her rule, the better. Aye, aye, agreed Roger, peering deep interest at the map. Small wonder the reed bird was interested, for Oz is one of the most exciting and enchanting countries ever discovered. There are four large kingdoms of Ozma's realm, the northern land of the Gillikins, the eastern empire of the Wilkies, the southern country of the Quadlings, and the western domain of the Munchkins. Each forms a triangle in the oblong of Oz. The Emerald City, which is the capital, is the exact center where all these triangles meet. Each of these kingdoms has its own ruler, but all four are under the sovereign rule and control of Ozma, the small but powerful fairy who lives in the Emerald City. On all sides, Oz is surrounded by a deadly desert, and beyond the desert lie the independent kingdoms of Noland, Lowland, Ix, Play, Ev, and the dominions of the Gnome King and many other strange and important principalities. These countries form a narrow rim around the desert, and beyond this rim lies an onestic ocean itself, stretching in all directions, and no one knows what far and undiscovered shores. Each of the four kingdoms in Oz, shown on Samuel's map, was so dotted with smaller kingdoms, cities, towns, villages, and holdings of the ancient knights and barons, there was scarcely enough room for another castle. With young princes growing up on every hand, Roger could well sympathize with the need of Ozma for more territory. Won't the Ozians have too long a way to come before they reach these new islands and countries we discover? inquired the reed bird after staring at the map for some moments in silence. Not a bit of it, Samuel dismissed Roger's objection with a snap of his fingers. I hear the Wizard of Oz is working on a new fleet of airships that will make crossing the desert and Onestic a real lark and enable new settlers to reach the outsiding islands in a day or less. So all we have to do is proceed with our discovery. Ozma will attend to the rest. This volcanic island may not be as useful as some of the others, but one can never tell. How about picking up a few islands for you, Addo, as we ride along? The former pirate dropped his arm affectionately around the shoulders of his royal cook. No thanks, grunted Addo, rolling cheerfully to his feet. One's enough. What would I want to do with any more islands? Why, I'd never get off on a voyage. But pick yourself up a couple, Sammy. Why don't you? Who? Me? Samuel stalled, shook his head empathetically. A ship's all I can handle, and I wouldn't trade you two buckets of seawater for all the islands in the Nonestic. One ship and one crew's enough for me, and since you're my crew, you'd better turn in. We've had a hard day and another one coming. I'll take the first watch, Cookie here, shall have the middle, and you, Roger, can have the early bird on the morning watch. Oh, um, I'm right sleepy at that, admitted Otto, staring to heap up the plates. Give me a lift with the dishes, Roger, will you? Oh, throw them overboard, directed Samuel Salt recklessly. There's plenty more in the hold, and I'm again extra labor. Hooray, screamed Roger, seizing the coffee pot and winging merrily through the open port. Avast! Avast, sir, not my coffee pot, pleaded Otto, making after the reed bird with a surprising speed, considering his tonnage. Stop, you great gassoon. How many times must I tell you? I'm boss of the galley. Catching Roger by the leg just as he reached the rail, 
Addo snatched back his precious coffee pot and hugged it protectively to his bosom. Why, I've just got this contraption broken in proper, he panted indignantly. A coffee pot's like a pipe. It's got to be sweetened and seasoned. Heave over the plates and cups if you like, he went on, relenting a bit as he noted this keen disappointment on Roger's face. But save the suit tureen. All wagers, not another this size on the ship, and the captain must have a soup. What a splendid pot of soup this would make, murmured Adder, looking dreamily down at the sea. A bit salty, perhaps, but full of snapper and porgy and tender young sea shoots. Why, that foam is as near as whipping cream as anything I've ever gazed on. Tearing himself reluctantly from the appetizing sight, the royal cook padded off to the galley in order for the night, while Roger, with loud squalls of glee, dropped the plates and saucers one by one over the side. In this way, the dishes were soon done, the cabin tidy and shipshape, and by eight bells, the king and Reedbird were sleeping soundly, and Samuel Salt halved the ship to himself. First, he made a complete round of all the decks, glanced at the barometer and compass, and furled the fore and mizzen topsails. Then he took the cooled piece of lava down to the hold. The strange signs and symbols had hardened, and labeling it carefully with the date and time of Salamander Island, Samuel placed it on the shelves for further study. Then, returning to the main deck, he set up a portable ship's lantern on the coil of rope and settled down to fix a hot box for the salamander. Selecting from the material he brought from the hold an iron box with a glass lid, he covered the bottom with sand and pebbles. Knowing salamanders require hot water as well as hot air, he placed a tiny flat pan of water in the corner of the box to serve as a swimming pool. A burning glass in the daytime and an alcohol lamp under the box at night would supply the necessary heat, and setting the whole contrivance on an iron tray in the cabin, Samuel went joyfully off to fetch the fire lizard. The salamander was still in the pot at the back of the stove, and giving her an experimental poke with his finger, Sam was astonished to find her quite cool to the touch. This was surprising, considering she could only live in the most intense heat, but without stopping to figure it out, the captain picked her up between a thumb and forefinger, carried her to the cabin, and popped her into the iron box. He had already lighted the lamp under the box, and everything was red and hot and cozy for her. The small captive seemed to appreciate her new quarters, wriggling over the hot pebbles and sand, then splashing gaily in her new swimming pool. Quite a girl, sighed the pirate, thrusting his elbows on the table and gazing happily down at the first prize of the voyage. You're going to be a great company for me, Sally. As if she really understood, the lizard gave a shriek and tapped loudly on the glass lid with her tail. The pipe almost dropped from Samuel's mouth at Sally's strange behavior, and lifting the lid, he peered inquisitively down at her. Before he had a chance to clap it shut, Salamander hurled herself upward, landing smartly on the bridge of the pirate's nose from where she slid cleverly into the pipe itself. Well, all these scuppered grasped the royal explorer, looking slightly cross-eyed down at the bridge of his nose as Sally coiled up comfortably at the bowl of the pipe. The little rascal wants to be keep me company, and so she shall. Bless my boots, so she shall. Why, this plum and cute and cozy lends something to write about in my journal. Puffing away, delighted, Samuel stepped out of the cabin and, dulled during his watch, the little salamander rested contentedly in his pipe. 
Sometimes she peered up inquisitively over the edge, but mostly she laid quietly on the smoking tobacco, looking with calm interest at the sky and rippling sails over her head. Not only did she keep his pipe from going out, but never had it drawn so well. So filled with a vast wonder and content, Samuel strode up and down the deck. Not till midnight, when he roused Addo, could he bear to put Sally back in her box, and only then, after he promised her another ride in the morning. But when morning came, Samuel had no time to keep his promise, for while Addo was cooking breakfast and the captain himself was catching forty winks in the cabin, the raunchous voice of the reed bird came whistling down from the foremast. Land ho! Land! More land! Island to the ward, Captain! End of chapter 4